You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. My name is Chris. And my name is Stephanie. And in this episode, we are discussing episode nine of season four of Orphan Black, the mitigation of competition. While there will be spoilers for that episode, there will be no spoilers for future episodes. It is the penultimate episode of season four. So what do you think of this episode, Chris? I liked this episode. There was some good stuff that happened there. Some return of some old favorites. Some good <laughs> stuff happened, like the return of Delphine. <laughs> that was, I think, maybe the happiest the Delphine yell has ever sounded. Well, before that was my Delphine cry of anguish. That was my Delphine victory yodel. <laughs> <laughs> victory yodel. Okay. <laughs> I like Delphine! it. Delphine! She returned. I actually was thinking at this point they were going to wait until the finale to show us anything about her. But the very end of episode nine also works. It makes sense. Instead of victory yodel, how about uh, your Del Squeen? (laughs) (laughs) Huh? Huh? I'll go with you. I still prefer victory yodel. I know. I'm making a joke. (laughs) Call it what you will, listeners. So Delphine, she seems to be on <laughs> Neolution Island. At least that's what the suggestion was, right? Yes. I may have had to explain that to my dad, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Because we go from Rachel and her talking about the vision she's having and how they're on the island, and then they immediately cut to this room with the music playing. The French music. Yes, it's Emily Movier. I don't know if you knew. Oh, I love her. Yeah, I thought you'd 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 like to know that. In case you didn't, I did not. I know you avoid some of the social media stuff for the sake of avoiding spoilers. Yes, thank you. Then I also had to confirm for my dad that it's Delphine because <laughs> he didn't recognize her. <laughs> oh goodness. Okay, her hair might have changed. Did we see that her hair was going a little curly again? Hmm. <laughs> Yes. I, I think people are a little excited about that from what I have seen. <laughs> well, like we had talked about in season three, maybe doing some character development through hair. So the fact that she is looking a little curly again, though looking like she probably hasn't been to a hairdresser in a while as well in this episode, I think is is reason to suspect that she is perhaps returning more to her season two, season one roots than rather roots. season three. Haha, <laughs> rather than her season three, I am you now, Rachel, persona. I saw a hilarious post on Tumblr earlier today that was the screen cap of Delphine sitting at that desk. Dear Diary, day 355 without hair, without my hair care products. <laughs> <laughs> but you notice also she's she's dressed more or less like she was at the end of season one. Also probably telling and or just what they have available on Neolution Island. So uh, you, as somebody with wavy hair, do you feel Delphine's pain? <laughs> I do. I actually don't <laughs> use a whole lot of product just because, you know, laziness. But yeah, again, the, the Sarah just constantly windblown look <laughs> is <laughs> that's my jam. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I just want to say up front, we are going by the suggestions in this episode. We know nothing definite for sure. But the suggestions in this episode are that Delphine is on (laughs) Beolution Island, living in maybe this rough encampment of people that Rachel was seeing in her visions this week. Presumably on the north end of the island. Right, since they are on the south end, per the map that Charlotte and Cosima were looking at this episode. And it suggested that Delphine is sending <laughs> Rachel these visions, perhaps. I was wondering about that, though. Is it It's Delphine? just a suggestion. I don't know. I think there's the suggestion there, but I'm not saying that that is for sure 100% the case. Yeah. Hmm. And if she is, then how is she sending them to? To Rachel. To Rachel, exactly. yeah. Yeah, but that would be something very orphan blacky, right? Where <laughs> Rachel was this huge nemesis of Delphine in seasons two and three, and yet now she must reach out to Rachel of all people. We did only see the right side of Delphine's face. Maybe Delphine also has like a bionic eye, a two-way bionic eye, <laughs> like a two-way radio. But it's I got it. Okay, I wanted to explain in case anybody didn't know. Okay, okay. 
But we saw in the visions, we there was a wooden door that swung open or closed, I don't remember now, and that seemed to have similar symbols carved on it that we had seen in the beginning of the season on Rachel's headboard when she was in on bed more bed rest than she is now. Hmm. I'll be honest, I, I don't remember. I, that did catch my eye. I could be wrong, but I've only I've only seen the episode once. But when that I saw that door, I thought, oh, those are similar to the symbols on her headboard because I've been wondering about those symbols on her headboard, which are the same symbols that she was drawing on the paintings in season three, which was part of the code that she had with Ethan Duncan. Yeah. So if Delphine is in fact sending these visions to Rachel's eye using her two way eye, <laughs> Chris is speculating. Throwing it out there. <laughs> What is with the swan? That is still the big question. I think it is reasonable for us to think the swan is symbolic of someone. So is the swan symbolic of Delphine? Is it symbolic of another Lita clone living on the island? What the heck? Is it just there to sort of catch Rachel's attention? What is with the swan? Or are there just a lot of swans in the north end of Neolution Island? What I'm saying is I have no idea. (laughs) Okay. But... We saw again the decapitated swan, which makes me think it's not that there's a lot of swans there, because I think the decapitated swan that we saw in this (laughs) episode is the same that Rachel saw previously. You know, probably. (laughs) Maybe they just like decapitating swans on the north end of Neolution Island. (laughs) I mean, also, there's this whole tie-in of the swan to the Lita and the swan myth. So if it is representative of someone, does it have to do with that? I mean, could it be somebody who is, you know, the father of the Lita project? Or is it just signifying that whoever or whatever is represented by the swan is tied to the Lita project? Again, I don't know. I'm just throwing stuff out there. No, those are good questions. And of course, we are curious as to how long has Delphine been on this island? Seems like a while, given her the hair. And who brought her there? Who was the person who tapped her on the shoulder? Is she captive there? What exactly is Delphine's circumstances? If I had to guess about the hand, I would think it's the one featured person in the visions, but like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that that's my thought too. The bearded guy. Right. But I, I obviously we don't know for sure. We'll We'll have to wait and see. But then... Was he the same person who rescued her from the garage? If not, who's the person who took her from the garage? There's still so many questions to answer about Delphine, but she's alive! And, like... As we thought she was, I was going to say, still. know that I'm holding in a ginormous I told you so. Except you're not holding it in because you just said it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to mention that Fred had sent us a very documented email earlier this week. There were screen caps, even. With his theories about what might ha- might happen, but then as soon as this episode aired, he promptly sent us a retraction, <laughs> saying, well, guess I was wrong. <laughs> I feel your pain, Fred. <laughs> I know. that That's the thing about this show. You can sit there and spin out these really wild theories, and then next episode, oh, wait, nope, nope, nope. But he did send us a prediction for the finale. He said, I expect that this will be all we will see from Delphine, perhaps a little more when they explain who the faction is that is staying in the woods on Dr. Moreau's island. I think Cosima and Delphine will not meet in person this season, although they are both on the same island, which would make it quite easily possible. I'm honestly not quite sure how much we might see of Delphine in the finale. I I would be surprised if we didn't see her at all in the finale. Yeah, I would also. I mean, for me, in my mind, it's a virtual certainty that we'll see her again in the finale. So otherwise, why drop this right now? Yeah, I feel like if we weren't going to see her in episode 10, they would have saved this little moment of revealing she was alive until episode 10. Right. Like this would have been the end to the season rather than the end to episode 9. Also, and I mean, again, I know nothing. This is just me guessing. But every season has had a relatively happy finale, with the exception of season one. They, they've they each had some fairly happy moments, as well as some tragic ones, admittedly. But I don't know. I'd not be surprised. Let's put it this way. I'd not be surprised if Cosima and Delphine reunite next episode. I'm not holding my breath on it, but I could see it happening. It would be nice, since at the end of season two... You know, they thought Delphine was on a plane, and end of season three, Delphine gets shot. It would be really nice if end of season four, there's a reunification. Yeah. 
Also, the fact that Cosima had that conversation with Charlotte about the geography of the island. Okay, yes. Let's talk about that conversation because there's that comment where Charlotte says, you know, this is my favorite. It's really cool and talks about the island being made of Precambrian rock that's four billion years old. And Cosima says, like, that is cool or something like that. Is there more to that conversation than I'm realizing? It seemed very pointed. See, that's what I'm saying, is it did seem pointed, and the way Cosima acknowledged it made me think that Cosima might go exploring. Is Precambrian Rock some sort of, like, Eskimo pie code between her and Delphi? (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't think so. (laughs) I don't know how that would work. (laughs) I don't know either, but... I, I don't know. For some reason, though, yeah, like, Cosima, her response to that comment from Charlotte, it seems like there's more there than is maybe immediately apparent. Although I've got to say, as soon as, I don't know, maybe it was even as soon as Cosima was showing up in, in Neolution Island, I was thinking. What 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 did you call it, Chris? Neolution Island? I, I, I oh. can't understand you. Neolution Island. Oh, okay. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Pardon me. As soon as that happened, I was thinking, like, I wonder if Delphine is there. Perhaps there's a secret basement on <laughs> Neolution Island and, you know, not <laughs> unlike Marion Ball's house. These are the things that went through my mind. So when we saw her at the end on what was likely Neolution Island, I was not surprised. Mm. Were you surprised? Well, yes and no. Okay. I, it makes sense because they had introduced us to this new location, so it would make sense to me right. that oh, that's that's where Delphine was, especially since they there were strong hints in season three that a reckoning would come from the Neolutionists if Delphine did what she did. So it wasn't surprising, but at the same time, I don't know that it, it crossed my mind before this episode. I think maybe Susan might have speculated before then, but I was kind of like, eh, I don't know, maybe. I mean, I wasn't really thinking about it until this episode. Yeah, but, exactly. And it's I one of the things the same way. I, I didn't necessarily predict exactly what happened, but I, I'm just saying I wasn't surprised by it. Yeah. Oh, well, I remember now. Susan at the end of last week ep- week's episode said, "I think when Kasima gets to the Illusion Island, she didn't call it that, but we'll forgive her." And <laughs> <laughs> I think when Kasima arrives there, Delphine's going to be there. And I guess I was imagining from her comment in that way that you know. Cosima would step off the chopper and Delphine would be there with, you know, great curling golden hair and blowing and, in the wind created from the helicopter. And, yes, and it's like, I greet you, soulmates, that type of thing. But <laughs> so, I just got a flash in my brain of like the Venus on the shell kind of a thing with the hair going and, and never mind. <laughs> exactly. So I thought that seemed unlikely, that scenario, but the idea that she might be somewhere. I think maybe Cosima. That's not her name. Susan might have just meant that <laughs> Delphine was somewhere on the island, and getting Cosima to the island was key to their reuniting. I just had to fight back a comment, which I am not fighting back now about uh, your other significant other. Yeah, my other significant <laughs> other. Thank you. So there wasn't a whole lot from Cosima on Neolution Island this week. <laughs> there was. You know, she fertilized Sarah's egg with Ira's sperm. Yay slash ew. <laughs> I just, I feel like yay slash ew is just, that's the show's wheelhouse. <laughs> that's a good point. There was a lot of yay slash ew in this episode, wasn't there? I mean, the entire series, but especially this episode. Especially yes. this episode, yes. <laughs> yeah, I loved in the, the scene with Felix and Sarah and Rachel and, and Ira when Felix told Ira, you fertilized my sister's egg with your sperm. You do not get a say. <laughs> I hear you, Felix. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm glad to see them making progress on that point. Please, please, we need to save Cosima. Let's make some progress on the clone disease. Yeah, let's let's switch the hashtag save Delphine to hashtag save Cosima. Or switch it back, I guess, at this point. Yeah. But we also, Cosima, reading up on the history of Neolution and P.T. Westmoreland. And declared him interesting for a racist bigot who thinks poverty is genetic. Ah, uh, social Darwinism. Ah, uh, social Darwinism. It, but one of my biggest pet peeves is when 
people connect Charles Darwin with the slogan survival of the fittest? Like, no, that is not Charles Darwin. That is social Darwinism. The catchphrase for Charles Darwin, that is natural selection. Survival of the fittest, that is social Darwinism. That is two different things. As I recall, Darwin was against social Darwinism. (laughs) But I thought that conversation between her and Susan Duncan was quite intriguing because you have Kasima pointing out very blatantly that because of Susan's efforts, we have Charlotte, who was born with a deformed leg and now is ill. Because there's a fine line, I think, to walk when we are talking about people who are born with illnesses or people who are born with physical differences, etc. That does not make them any less valuable as human beings. But I think in this situation, there is this element of these people were genetically engineered. And so we, I think in this case, it is appropriate to look to Susan Duncan and say, like, was this really appropriate, what you were doing? Right. And I mean, this is the same argument that they're having basically about what Evie Cho is doing at Brightborn. So right. Also, a bit of interesting information we get from Kasima and Susan Duncan having that conversation is Susan says something about how she's under a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. And that's why Charlotte had to be born, essentially. And we never get an answer because Kasima asks her... Who was pressuring you? Yeah, yeah. What, what pressure? Pressure from where? And I think, I think we've gotten indications that it has to do with the hierarchy of Neolution, but we still don't have a clear picture of what exactly that is. Since it does seem like somebody is in a place to make the judgment of who is in charge, right? I mean, from what we've seen the past couple of episodes... Mm-hmm. Now that With- Susan is out and Evie is in, like who exactly who made that call? Yeah, is it Topside? What is Topside? We still don't quite know what Topside is. It's a coalition or cooperation or some sort of relationship between companies. That's all we got so far. It seems like. Well, you mentioned Evie Cho. I guess let's let's talk about her takedown this episode. It was kind of glorious, wasn't it? <laughs> it was pretty good. But uh, I still feel conflicted about it. Which is another thing this show is good about. Yeah, when it when it happened, when Evie Cho, you know, the the press room turned on her and started asking her all of these questions about the, the practices with the carriers, Susan said, and that's why you don't speak with Rachel Duncan, which is, I think, accurate. I can kind of feel like it's a victory at this point. But at the same time, we see her using the tactics, which I hate about her in the same episode. And of course, I mean, the way they frame it as they're leading into this scene, they make it look like Rachel is betraying Sarah. So I think a lot of us were shaking our fists in anger at Rachel. My dad was all like, that devious such and such or whatever it was that he said. I don't remember now, but he was he was very frustrated with Rachel. And uh, on our side for now, because her side aligns with, quote unquote, our side. But like... Sarah, I think it's still reasonable to be distrustful of her. Oh, absolutely. She has that comment about, you know, don't you realize Rachel's going to do anything? She craves power and she's going to do anything to get it. And that's exactly why I don't trust Rachel. Right. I mean, that's what she did in this episode. It's not out of kindness. It's because she wants power for herself and maybe for Susan. Who knows? Yes, because we we heard her essentially throw Susan under the bus to Evie, but she was lying to Evie that entire interaction. So it's difficult to say whether she actually meant that or not. Because whether she wants the power for herself or for Susan, Evie has to go. Exactly. It was kind of a, a satisfying thing, even though we don't really know what Rachel's plan is. I, I for one, just love a good double-cross fake-out kind of a situation. But Felix had that comment about... Evie Cho's villainy being even worse than Rachel's. And I don't know that that's necessarily 100% true. I still think they're equally villainous. It's just right now, Rachel is the lesser of two evils. Yeah, I I agree. I almost said lesser of two Evies. (laughs) You know, people online are referring to her as Evil Cho. Oh, that's not surprising. (laughs) It's kind of a bummer that, you know, we have a an Asian character for who's really prominent this season, but she's the the baddie. I know. I've been kind of bummed out about it this whole season because I don't know if you remember this, but apparently there was a character originally 
that got replaced by Delphine, but was a quirky Asian scientist. Hmm, interesting. But then they're like, so long, Asian scientist. Hello, French doctor. Because <laughs> <laughs> they loved Evelyn Brochu, and we can't blame them. Exactly. She's great and very lovable. However, it is a bummer that we got no quirky Asian scientist. Yeah. And now we do, and it's evil Cho. <laughs> Rats. I know. Darn it. But we had a we had a very sympathetic character who played by a person of color this episode in Kendra, and I don't think that was unintentional. I, I think they are intentionally wanting us to think of Amelia through the carrier storyline, and particularly seeing Kendra in this episode. Yeah, I agree. Because parallels and good storytelling. <laughs> I was trying to remember back a few episodes ago when we saw Kasima infiltrate Brightborn and she sees the baby who's born with really severe birth defects. I was trying to remember, did was the baby alive? Was the baby, did we see the baby die? I couldn't remember if we saw the ultimate fate of the baby. I don't think so. I seem to recall the baby being alive last we saw it, but I don't remember if we ever saw a follow-up to what happened to it. Because we definitely saw a follow-up with the video that, that Kendra captured in this episode, this idea that they were having these women carry these babies to term and the babies were intentionally given birth defects and then ultimately being euthanized. I mean, that's pretty darn awful. Yes. And calling it the most humane option because, ugh, 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 ugh. That's all I can say. <laughs> that says it all. Yeah. I actually wondered from the video, the birth defect looked similar to the one that we'd seen in the previous episode. I thought that too. And I actually wondered if, if it was the same baby. Could be. But I think the fact even just that we're not sure, because it seems like they were doing that kind of a lot. So disturbing. I, yeah, Absolutely. Like I was saying, I am still wary of Rachel, especially now that she is in Clone Ronto and within the Clone Club's orbit. Collaborating with her didn't blow up in their face this time. However, dot, dot, dot. Uh, she's so shifty. But yeah, there was the whole plot where it, it looked like she was betraying Sarah and Art, who were with Kendra. But then Rachel calls the house and has her go out with Ira, but she the way she phrases it to Kendra is, do what I tell you and your son will not be harmed. Which I have mixed feelings about because it sounds like a threat, but also it's true, but not necessarily from, like, the, the danger is not necessarily Rachel. Know what I'm saying? Yes, but I, I do think it, and this was the intention, right? On, to illustrate the difference between the tactics that Sarah and Clone Club uses as people who are fighting for their independence and autonomy versus the tactics that Rachel uses as somebody who grew up within the project itself. She's used to kind of playing people like pawns and denying them abilities to make their own choices. Coercion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, Rachel. But it was effective, ultimately. So, again, I've mixed feelings about Rachel's whole part in the plan, and I think I think that was definitely intentional on the writer's part. Although it's kind of interesting, thinking about it further, the fact that Roxy and whoever's working or working with her at that point, you know, they come in with nefarious intent. So I wonder if she had stuck around and seen Art and Sarah protecting her from them, do we think that would have had the same effect as Rachel and her coercion? I would think that it could it could go either way because it could maybe affirm to her that they are actually protecting her and they are not they are not the same as Roxy and her partner, right? But it could also have been frightening to her, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to see how Evie Cho might retaliate in the finale because it seems very unlikely to me that she will take that betrayal lying down. Now I'm curious what's going to play out in in the finale, just generally because right. Because, you know, one of the big turns in the season was seeing Topside or whomever throwing their power, their resources into Evie's project because it was going so well. And she was getting these government approvals and things like that. But now with this scandal, it's likely she no longer looks as good of an option as she did previously. It's certainly not a viable thing to the public anymore. And I liked that the writers included this plan of Evie's to 
present herself as this hometown hero and go back into the economic kind of wasteland her hometown had become and be the returning hero. And I'm going to give all these people jobs. And I, I think it was some good commentary on how the most vulnerable in the populations tend to become victims of corporations as well as, as research and especially like underground research and experimentation. Mm-hmm. So speaking of criminal activity, <laughs> Johnny finally got out of out of jail. I say finally. He was in there for like two days. But but he's a free man for the moment. However, he does still have charges against him. As Correct. implied yes. by the conversation with Adele. Because that was my big question. Like, what was happened to those charges once Duco was no longer in the picture? But they are still there. I feel like what's probably going to happen is... They'll go to court, but without the detective who was pressing the charges, maybe the charges will get dropped? Maybe the the case will be too weak to actually convict him? Yeah. I don't know that that's what's going to happen, but it seems like a valid option for the writers. <laughs> yeah. Because Adele implied in this episode, which is true, which I think is so dumb, that they won't know what evidence they have against the Hendrixes before they actually go to court, or against Donnie before they go to court. mm which is stupid. I don't understand why the criminal cases, we don't get depositions like they do in civil cases. Anyway, I was glad to see John Donnie get out of jail, but oh my gosh, he can be so gross sometimes. <laughs> I mean, he basically immediately gropes Allison in I the know. parking lot. I know. And then says, Daddy needs his conjugal baby. Uh, Donnie, yeah. I still like you, but you're gross sometimes. <laughs> See, this is going back to the yay slash ew. Donnie's free from jail. Yay! He's being gross. Ew. <laughs> Her hold my underwear. It's dirty. <laughs> and he also had that line about, you know, I'll make you see God or something like that. Yep. Mrs. Hendricks. Oh, gosh. Oh, Donnie. But yeah, he and Allison get back home and there are cop cars parked outside the house. Which is not a good sign. So they make plans to go to Niagara. It seems like they shouldn't be this naive when they note that, oh, the police car's gone and now there's an ambulance there. Like, <laughs> you idiots. <laughs> I mean, that was my response. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess maybe the information about the paramedics who assaulted Sarah didn't trickle down to the Hendrixes, but still, I mean, that didn't raise your suspicions a little bit. How often is an ambulance in your neighborhood? Just sitting there, like no lights flashing, nothing. Just sitting there. Right. Like right outside your house. It still seems suspicious, right? Yeah, it really does. But th this isn't the first instance of naivete from them this episode. No. Because no. earlier, they just casually let slip that, oh, it couldn't be Duco who's <laughs> doing this. And then Adele, of course, is rightfully suspicious. You know, mm -hmm. well, why couldn't it be Duco? What do you guys know? He's Poor on Adele. leave. How do you know he's on leave? Felix, that was not your best cover lie. And I mean, you could have said, well, we have a friend who works at the police station. Like, Which is true. <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying. Is That would have covered you, kind of, at least. So, of course, as everybody who is not the Hendrixes knew, <laughs> the ambulance was actually... The guy, Cheek Chopper, did, did we ever get a name for him? His name is Frank per IMDb, but I don't think they've actually said it on the show. Okay. He was there because we knew he was somewhere. Yeah, because they had pointed out that he was not with Roxy. Exactly. But that's where he was. He was sitting outside the Hendrix's house. But then he busts into the Hendrix's house and hogties Donnie and then threatens Allison with an old glitchy version of the maggot bot, which is unnerving, to put it mildly. And after last week, when they sort of threw Allison's loyalty to Clone Club into suspicion, I like that they, they made it pretty clear that she was not intending to crack and to give him information about Sarah. I did really like that moment. I loved when she when she looked over at Donnie and, and told him that she loved him, and then mm -hmm. she started to pray. It's like, oh, Allison. Yeah, because that was a big thing this episode. Allison was really questioning her faith. And I'm so happy we came back to that because there was that scene earlier in the season after Kendall had been killed where she tried to pray and then she started cursing herself essentially in, in her Allison way and, and couldn't do it. And we saw some of that last week too and they followed up with it this week and there was that great scene where she 
debated whether or not to put her cross necklace on. Because we've mentioned that before, that she was wearing the cross necklace. She's always worn it. They sort mm-hmm. of never made a big deal about it, but she always wore it. And so to have that moment in this episode where she's really questioning her faith and then follow it up with with her actually praying and those prayers being answered in like the best possible way. <laughs> well, yes, the best pos- possible way it, for many reasons. <laughs> but I really liked that Helena was the answer to Allison's prayers because it shows how much Helena has sort of shifted in her role in the story right? Because she was this terrible threat that's like, oh no, Helena's here back in season one. And now, you know, pretty much since season two, it's like, oh, thank God Helena's here. (laughs) (laughs) She's she's become the avenging angel. She's no longer the angry angel. She is the avenging slash cuddly angel. Maybe not cuddly, but... Cuddly murdering little angel. (laughs) (laughs) My precious murder angel. Hi, Chris and Stephanie. This is Ida, also known as Bolly Golly. I just want to share with you my thoughts on the latest Orphan Black, which I thought was a terrific episode and a really good setup for the finale next week. Firstly, the return of Helena. Didn't you just love the moment when she came through the door and put the arrow through the paramedic's neck? What an awesome moment. The other highlight was Adele, surprisingly. I thought that she had two very good scenes with the Hendrixes and, of course, her confrontation with Helena. And I actually felt sad when Felix sent her away. I hope that we will see her again, because I really like the character, I realize, and I hope that she remains untouched by the whole clone club nonsense. Third highlight was, of course, Rachel taking down Evie Cho. That was a great moment. I didn't, I didn't see that coming. I always suspected Rachel was going to do something to get back at Evie Cho, but of course I couldn't have predicted how she would do it. This makes things very interesting next week because we know Evie Cho is not going to go down without a fight. So she's going to hit back and hit back hard. So that'll be interesting to see. And of course, last but not least, wasn't it awesome to see Delphine Cormier again? I mean, Evelyn Brochu looks great even from the back. It's ridiculous. (laughs) I thought the way her being alive was revealed was really well done because now there are lots of questions to answer. What exactly happened to her? How long has she been on this island? Which I presume she's on the island. So very fascinating questions all leading up to the finale. I'm very excited about the finale. I just want to make a quick mention about Alison though. I I feel that after this episode, it's confirmed what I felt about Alison for a while now, which is that Of all the clones, she's probably the weakest character. She's had the least character development and her storyline over the past couple of seasons, to me, has been the least interesting of the clones. I don't think that's a problem or anything, but I just feel that at this stage, she is probably the clone that I care for the least. But I'll talk more about this after the finale. In the meantime, looking forward to your show. Thanks, ladies. Bye-bye. Okay, first of all, I wanted to say that as I was listening to this message, I just, I absolutely cracked up at how excited she was when she was talking about, and how great was it to see Helena shoot that guy through the throat? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> this show is so weird, and I, I love it. I didn't even question it, <laughs> because me too. <laughs> I mean, it's horrifying. It is, but it's also great, because it's kind of exactly what needed to happen in that moment. Maybe not exactly. There are other ways it could have been handled, but it's just such a Helena kind of a kind of a thing to do. (laughs) But before we get into Helena's reappearance, I wanted to respond first to Ada's thoughts about Allison's storyline with some of our own thoughts about Allison. And obviously we all have our favorite clones, you know, I just because I like Cosima the best doesn't mean I think she's necessarily the best character and everybody should like Cosima the best. We have different storylines that we respond to differently, but I thought maybe we'd talk a little bit about Allison and her role in the storyline so far. Did did you want to go first, Chris? Yeah, I I have complicated thoughts on it. <laughs> because I mean to some extent I agree. Allison is less of a, I don't know, a pronounced out there kind of character than many of the other clones. But at the same time, I feel like that story is kind of necessary in a way because 
I don't know. I, I feel like Allison's experience is, I would say, a more common normal thing, except it's not. <laughs> I assume most people aren't secret drug dealers, but... And have bodies buried in their garages. That too. But, I mean, just the fact that she is, like, a suburban mom, you know what I mean? It's It's a quieter story, but I think it's still something that's really worth telling in this context of this story, you know what I mean? Well, and I actually really like what they've been doing with her this season, which has been less flashy. She had very prominent, flashier storylines, I think, in seasons two and three. But she's getting a quieter, more subtle one this season. And I actually like that quite a bit. She feels a bit more connected to Clone Club this season to me. Last season Mm -hmm. in particular, she felt more off on her own in her own little storyline. But I feel like there are exploring some interesting ideas with her and her struggles trying to be the most normal i think of the clones have the most normal life of the rest of the clones and yet still being very much written into what's going on with the struggles with brightborn and dyad etc yeah because it it always felt very much like allison was borderline in denial Mm -hmm. of what was going on she was she was going to be normal come hell or high water, you know? Exactly. Going to have a, a normal suburban life. But I think we've really seen this season how much her clones mean to her, you know? And we do see that even though she was the one back at the end in season one who was willing to sign the contract with Dyad and being more willing to kind of play along in order to maintain the normalness of her life. I I do feel like we have seen some development from her on that front. I don't know that now she's the person who would sign that contract. Right. I mean, she was was the one who was keeping Helena as a house guest earlier this season, you know? Yep. Helena was nanny to their kids, basically. (laughs) So, but I can see where where Ida is coming from in her having less interest in Allison's storyline. I I think particularly this season, it's been not as... Exciting, not as much going on as other storylines, but I, I still am, am liking what they're doing with her as a character. I, I think most of the characters have had less flashy storylines this season. I agree, yeah. Which I don't think is a bad thing. Yeah. But let's talk about Helena and <laughs> Felix and Adele, as uh, Ida mentioned in her in her message. What a great return to the show. Like we said before, we knew Helena was not going to come back quietly. She was going to make a splash, and boy, did she. Although, ironically, her first scene in the episode is kind of quiet. But it it's, is. It's her, you know, tromping through the woods with the deer on her shoulders that she'd recently killed, apparently. And Actually, in her very first scene, she was trying to blend in and not make much of a splash at all, ironically. <laughs> but her return to Clone Ronto was quite, was quite, quite the return. What did you see in, in the first scene? Did you see her under the little thing... Yeah. And popping up from the... Okay. What they did, that was shown on BBC America as an extended scene in, like, just the regular episode airing. We first see her tromping through the woods with a deer on her shoulders. Oh, okay. And then during the commercial break, they have, like, extended scene, and Helena pops up from underneath a tarp or something, and then we see her with the deer. Okay. No, I that was the what I saw, because I, I watched it on... I, I am subscribed to it on, on Amazon Instant Video, so that's what we saw originally was the extended cut, apparently. I wondered so, how they, they integrated those, since you seem to know about that. <laughs> but that explains it. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess since it's not airing with commercials on Amazon Instant Video, they just put the extended cut up there. Right. Kind of like they do for Lost Girl in the American version versus the Canadian. That makes sense. That's interesting, though. Now we know. But those those poor those that poor family driving through the park thinking they're gonna see an idyllic deer running around in the forest. Which was also shown as part of the extended scene on BBC America, FYI. Mm. But um yeah, that that scene was kind of great because <laughs> they're like, Oh, oh look, it's a deer. Oh, I think I see it. And no, it's Helena with the deer <laughs> over her shoulders, and then the kids start freaking out. And say it's Sasquatch, which is like the greatest response to seeing Helena I've ever heard. Since you mentioned the Sasquatch line, as I was making my notes, I was war- wondering if the writers in this episode were intentionally doing kind of a reference to Harry and the Hendersons. 
It's because we have Helena and the Hendrixes. <laughs> Could be. And we Helena, do keep calling them that. <laughs> and Helena is, you know, the called a Sasquatch early. In the, anyway, if you haven't seen Harry and the Hendrixes, it's a it's a movie from I think the 1990s with John Lithgow, where like this family takes in this friendly Sasquatch. <laughs> was it the 90s? I couldn't remember if it was the 80s or the 90s. I think it was the early 90s. It might have been the late 80s. You're 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 right. It could have been the 80s. It was somewhere in that era, though. Yeah, but so it's a very ridiculous movie, and and ultimately they have to they turn their back on the Sasquatch because they decide it's better for him to be free and wild and. <laughs> But Helena in her roughing it outfit where she's <laughs> got a hat that Adele does not think was store-bought. <laughs> uh, Helena's so great. She she went like full-on mountain man. <laughs> mountain woman. <laughs> I know, but the, I mean like archety- I know, archetypically I know. it's, you know, is what I'm going for here. I know, I know. And she says she was in Beavertail National Park. I, I think she says National Park specifically, and I tried looking it up, and I, I didn't find one in Canada. There's a Beaver Tail State Park in Rhode Island. I found a Beaver Tail Island in Ontario. Is it just an island? It's not a park? That's what it said. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I couldn't tell if she said National Park or Mission Park something. It sounded like Mission Park to me, but okay. I don't know. I didn't I didn't put captions on. Mm. But Beaver Tails are also a tasty pastry that are common in Canada. Yeah. So that might have appealed to Helena in picking where to go. <laughs> Beaver tails, I like those. <laughs> I wonder if Helena knows about those. Probably not, but I like that idea that she was attracted to the park because there might be pastries. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible, but we also know that Helena likes animals, so maybe she has a, a beaver impression. A beaver impression? Like she pretends to be a yeah. beaver? Well, I mean, because she, you know, she snorts like a like a pig or does the um, sheep. Remember? Mm-hmm. And pig impressions. She has a lot of animal noises that she does. Here she hissed. That's what I'm saying. She hissed in this episode. I keep saying that somebody, I, it probably should be me, needs to make like a an Orphan Black crack video where there's a section where it's like Old McDonald, except Helena's making all the noises. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But I loved her, her line about, I was in Beavertail National Park or Mission Park. It was very peaceful. Yes. She says after having shot that guy through the throat with an arrow. I know, I know. But she came back when she smelled that her sisters were in trouble. I love Helena's protective side, even though it is also scary. <laughs> it is great. I, again, it's like, well, at least it's pointed in the right direction now. Yeah. Though I was worried for Adele, because I was like, Adele, do not get an arm's reach of Helena. Like, stay out of arm's length. It's true. <laughs> you but are- at least Felix was there to play referee. And- yes. And I love that Helena asked Felix, you are safe. Like, she checked in with him. It's, right. Oh, it makes he, me so he happy. He asks her to leave, and she, she makes sure it's okay for her to leave first. Mm-hmm. I love protective Helena. Me too. And it was it was pretty great to have her paired with Adele for that scene. They are, they were interesting <laughs> characters to have together. Which, as we always say, is something this show does very well with. Because it makes sense that that's where she would come back to. Felix has not moved, whereas, you know, Mrs. S and, and Sarah have been in hiding. So if Helena's like, I need to go back, try to find Sarah, it makes sense to me that she would first start at Felix's apartment. Yeah, and there'd been trouble at the Hendrixes, so it makes sense that she wouldn't necessarily go there first. Mm, that's true, yeah. Because she had left there thinking she was doing something good for them and their relationship by leaving. Yeah, since she'd brought, essentially had brought the police to their house, so. And speaking of Felix, while he had only a small storyline in this episode, it it was one of the more touching moments for me, the conflict that kind of arose between him and Adele. Yeah, it's the conflict we've seen a number of times before on the show, often with Felix, actually, where you know, Felix has to essentially send somebody away to keep them safe. Because mm-hmm. we saw it in season two with Tony. There was that decision they had to make with Crystal in season three, which didn't really stick, but still they tried. But now it's it's with Felix's half-sister, which just makes me fat, makes me extra sad for Felix. Yeah, it really did. It was really such a lovely scene between him and Adele where she was coming to this realization that just because they are genetically related, that doesn't mean they're the same type of family as 
Felix has with Sarah and Mrs. S and all the other clones. You kind of get the sense that, you know, Felix and Adele were sort of like a, an instantly bonded fast friendship kind of a th- situation, you know? Like they had a lot in common. Right. And and when they were kind of by themselves and Felix was avoiding all of the clone club shenanigans, it was fine. Like they could seemingly have this open trusting relationship. But as soon as Adele kind of gets wind of all this other stuff that's going on around Felix, she realizes, oh, he's not telling me a lot. Yeah, the whole thing just kind of makes my heart hurt. Because <laughs> yeah. it is, I mean, it it makes sense that Felix does what he does. He has to protect everybody. And really, that's the best way to protect everybody involved. But, you know, it's still sad. Yeah. And I wanted to point out, they they very specifically in this conflict between him and Adele, they make reference to biological family versus found family. And that's a that's a common storyline for LGBT characters. And I, because it's a realistic one, I think especially gay people coming out in the nineties and before two thousands, even today, it's still, still a thing today. I'm not saying it's not, I think it's less so, but oftentimes when gay people came out, they lost contact with their biological families. They had family members who would disown them, et cetera. And so it was a very common thing for LGBT people and still is to have these found families, people who loved them and accepted them regardless. And so here we have Felix having this storyline that's common for LGBT characters, but it has such a unique spin on it because it's not that Adele is feeling she can't have a bond with him because he's gay. Like that has nothing to do with it. So I I like that it's like, yes, this is a storyline we've seen with an LGBT character before, but it has this like really contemporary, unique orphan black spin to it. Which is something that sci-fi and fantasy usually is really good at, you know, if it's if it's well done, especially it's a common thing for them to sort of it's a it's a different context for a real real life existing prevalent often problem. I also want to say I thought that Felix was looking really fantastic this week. I love the way he had his hair done, and if I looked that good in makeup, I might wear some occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> but I just thought he looked really great. I, I actually tweeted during the episode, like, Felix's hair is distracting, and by the way, I don't mean that in a bad way. <laughs> no, no, no. I was just like, wow, his hair looks great in this episode. I also thought Adele got in some pretty good lines when it came to the conversation between her and Helena. I love the So it's triplets now from the same stomach countries. There's different countries in there. <laughs> You're not wrong, Adele. You're not wrong. Because I can see, since she and Felix have such different accents, I feel like maybe she could be like, okay, fine. You know, Sarah has this British accent, whereas Allison has a has, you know, Canadian accent. But once you introduce Helena into the picture, it's just like, okay, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> well, because the whole thing, too, with at least with Sarah, if Felix says, you know, here's my sister, Sarah, we were both adopted by Mrs. S., you know, that would explain away a lot. But yeah, once you get a second twin that had never been mentioned before, who is clearly not from this continent, <laughs> you know, stuff gets a little weird. And I'm with Ida. I would love to see Adele come back. I came to really, really enjoy that character. And I hope we see her again. Me too. Ooh, here's an idea. An Adele and Sarah Stubbs spinoff show. <laughs> That's as far as I've gotten, but I love it already. (laughs) (laughs) With appearances by Raj. You're just throwing that in because it's Steph Nip. (laughs) It's true, I am. (laughs) Raj and Colin. Somebody's finally gotten Colin a towel. (laughs) (laughs) And we're back to yay slash you. (laughs) I had one final thought that I wanted to mention about this episode. It's really, in thinking about it, it's actually more of a comment on the season, I guess, but it didn't really occur to me until this episode. But it felt like there were several moments in this episode that really blurred the line between animal and human. You know, particularly we, we, I I guess it wasn't in the BBC airing, but in the extended cut, you, you know, one of the first times we see Helena, she's being mistaken for a deer, and then they think she's a Sasquatch. And then we have the return hardcore of the the carriers and the babies and how they are being used as as lab rats 
And then we also have the swan that's in Rachel's visions, which could potentially be representative representative of a human. And as I was kind of thinking about that, I thought back to Kasima's line about the Ankomice, like, oh, we're your Ankomice. So I, I think this is definitely a theme they're hitting on this season, mm-hmm. given the titles of the episodes being based on Donna Haraway's work. Yeah, not surprising. So I'm sure we're, we'll probably go more into this idea when we talk about Donna Haraway in an episode we're going to do after the season concludes. But this episode in particular, I was just like, yep, they're doing a thing. I put out a last call for feedback on Facebook, and I got a couple of messages from people that I wanted to include. Allie is pointing back to something that Delphine actually said in season one. She says, when Delphine and Cosima meet for the first time, Delphine tells her that she studies immunology, specifically host-parasite relationships. Now I am worried again. Seems extremely coincidental. And I think Allie is referring to the maggot bots that have been featured this season. So that's a very interesting thought, Allie, if maybe that was a setup for this particular storyline, or if maybe in thinking about the past, the writers might bring Delphine into the maggot bot storyline. We we shall see. I wouldn't worry too much, though. I, I feel pretty confident that Delphine is on Cosima's side, but we shall see how it plays out. We also got a message from Greg saying, I wonder if the guy who put his hand on Delphine was the same guy in Rachel's visions. My first thought was maybe they were the refugees of the old dyad, but maybe they could be from Topside or another faction of Neolution. This was such a great episode, and I'm looking forward to the finale. Rachel this season has been great, and her plot against Evie was really nicely played. Maybe she'll be part of Clone Club in the future. I wait to see the day, Greg. (laughs) I'm not saying it's impossible, but it still seems very unlikely at this point. But but we'll see. Rachel has definitely been softening this season. Leanne mentioned, gonna have to start calling that garage, meaning the Hendrix's garage, a mass grave soon. Leaky, Rudy, probably. Now Mr. Man Bun, losing track. Who else? Donnie really should have bought that jackhammer. And then finally, Deb said, can't wait to hear Stephanie scream, Delphine! Actually, that was my sad Delphine cry. Let me try that again. Delphine! Which is what I did when I saw her. Hopefully, I did not disappoint you, Deb. Thank you to everybody who sent in those comments on Facebook. We like getting your feedback after the episodes. love to hear your thoughts about the mitigation of competition. Boy, did Rachel mitigate her competition. As well as your thoughts about this episode, you can do that a number of ways. Leave a comment on the show notes over at tatianaiseveryone.com slash 108. Send us email to feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. We also love giving voice messages like I just sent. You can send those by recording a voice memo on your smartphone and emailing it to us. Or you can call our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. We are on Twitter at TIE Podcast, and we're also on Facebook. Tatiana is Everyone is part of the Ask Genre TV family of podcasts. You can find our other podcasts for Killjoys and Lost Girl and a couple of other things over at AskGenreTV.com. And in this episode, the Del Squeen was played by Tatiana Maslani. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.